From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we're looking back through technology history to better understand the trends that we see today. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Quinn Nelson. Hi there, Stephen. How you doing? I'm good. I'm a little bit under the weather, so forgive me uh, if oh. I sound a little a little sick, but I'm glad to be here with you. We're talking about seriously one of my favorite all-time tech products that didn't make it i I just i love this thing for some reason and i'm excited to talk about it Hmm. interesting because i'm i'm not so much in love with this one i'm in love with all the other products that kind of came after that were inspired by this one but uh, enough beating around the bush you've read the title of the episode that's how we do these things remember that that's right Uh, what are we talking (laughs) about today the palm folio heck yeah that's right well, let's rewind a little bit. Not quite palm, palm folio, but but back into the past. Remember when Steve Jobs introduced the iPad and he positioned it as something new, like a, a category between a smartphone and between a laptop? I do. It was uh, it was sort of feisty. Just a few years ago, in 2007, Apple reinvented the phone with the iPhone. And a few years later, we've got the great iPhone 3GS best phone in the world. And so all of us use laptops and smartphones now. Everybody uses a laptop and or a smartphone. And the question has arisen lately, is there room for a third category of device in the middle? Something that's between a laptop and a smartphone. And of course, we've pondered this question for years as well. The bar is pretty high. In order to really create a new category of devices, those devices are going to have to be far better at doing some key tasks. They're going to have to be far better at doing some really important things, better than the laptop, better than the smartphone. What kind of tasks? Well, things like browsing the web. That's a pretty tall order. Something that's better at browsing the web than a laptop? Okay, doing email, enjoying and sharing photographs, video, watching videos, enjoying your music collection, playing games, reading ebooks. If there's going to be a third category of device, it's going to have to be better at these kinds of tasks than a laptop or a smartphone. Otherwise, it has no reason for being. Now, some people have thought that that's a netbook. The problem is, netbooks aren't better at anything. (laughs) They're slow, they have low-quality displays, and they run clunky old PC software. They're not better than a laptop at anything. They're just cheaper. They're just cheap laptops. And we don't think that they're a third category device. But we think we've got something that is. And we'd like to show it to you today for the first time. And we call it the iPad. Yeah, and he he wasn't really wrong. I I mean, we don't think about them now because netbooks don't exist anymore, really. But back in the the late kind of aughts and then early 2010s, it really was 
a category that was doing really, really well. These kind of, you know, three to $600 tiny laptops that were really small, focused on portability, and usually ran Windows, bad processors, battery life wasn't very good. It was kind of a weird category. And the iPad really kind of began the, the tablet revolution that we know today that doesn't really exist anymore because the iPad's pretty much the only tablet anyone it's buys. It's just the iPad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, all, it's all there is. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> right. Well, three years before the iPad's introduction, uh, in 2007, Palm was poised to take a swing at this third device category with a product that they dubbed the Folio. It wasn't a tablet, but it wasn't a laptop either. Really, uh, it's bizarre. It was, uh, what, what I mean, how would you even describe it? Looking at it, the form factor is a netbook. It's a 10-inch notebook, you know, kind of a sub-notebook. Yeah. They called it a mobile companion, which oh, it's like a friend that goes with you on a trip. That's intimate. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a very strange <laughs> phrase. And it's understanding, but in a way, it's the perfect name because the folio wasn't a standalone computing device. It wasn't a netbook. It was not a sub-notebook. It was not a tablet. It was just a larger screen and keyboard for your phone. Hmm. But but it had its own processor, right? I mean, it's not like this thing was just a a screen and a battery. Right, Right. It's not like you popped it into it. I mean, it connected over Bluetooth for your phone, but... It depended on your phone for a connection to the outside world hmm. and for the content on your phone, like that's what it needed. So if you just fired up the folio on its own, it was kind of an island. You needed the phone to make it operable, basically. So let me let me read a little bit about the folio from Palm's website. Tell me tell me what it does. Yeah. If it sounds like we're confused. It's because Palm themselves were confused about what this thing was going to be. So (laughs) they designed it around three experiences, email, surfing the web, and dealing with documents, all kind of business-oriented. I think that's who they had in mind as as a potential buyer for this. So here's how the product's website sold the email experience on the folio. It connects wirelessly with your device to let you read and write longer emails and view attachments with ease. Think of it as the big screen and keyboard your smartphone has always wanted. No more sending a short email response when you really have lots to say. No more waiting until you're back at your desk to download and review attachments. With Folio, you download what you need and deal with it now, not later. This kind of makes it sound like it's both an independent device and a device solely dependent on the, you know, Palm Treo in your pocket. Yeah. And it's more of the latter than the former. Right. And and it, to my understanding, the way that it was kind of built up was that this was really a, a business person type focused device. And, and email specifically was really the heart of the product. There was even a hardware button above the keyboard that took you straight to the inbox. And again, it would sync your data over Bluetooth to your Palm Trail that was in your pocket. And within that, you could do, you know, a bunch of email stuff. And then when you were done uh, writing emails, composing them, sending them, it would just sync all of the changes back to the phone where those actions would actually be carried out, like sending an email or, or whatever. Right. Um, and and I guess now that, you know, tablets have their own LTE connections and Wi-Fi is so ubiquitous, it's not like Wi-Fi was unheard of in 2007, but... It, <laughs> This this idea that two devices would be 
tied to the hip and dependent on each other was really a kind of not a concept that was really all that common. And it's something that we see more of today, I think, because, you know, for example, the, the iPhone and the iPad run the same operating system, and mm-hmm. even the Mac to an extent, iMessage and AirDrop and all of these features that kind of tie the platforms together, even though they're not the same platform. This was like a primitive, but but almost more intense version where they really are one without the other. I mean, I guess you could have the smartphone without the folio, but the folio without a smartphone was was nothing. You couldn't you couldn't use it. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of the early days of the Apple Watch, where now the Apple Watch is more of a standalone device. Yeah. But in the beginning, in particular, it could hardly do anything without the phone being present and connected. Okay. So so tell me about the product itself, right? Because okay, it's a laptop, right? It's uh, like we said, it's ten inches, so it's netbook sized. Uh, it has a keyboard that goes edge to edge, and it features a track point and two mouse buttons, kind of like a ThinkPad. Okay. Uh, there's not really room for a trackpad. Oh, they, a track point. Hey, there you go. I've never used one. It seems weird. They are weird. I know some people love them, but I, I, can, I can't ever get used to them. Oh, people swear by them. It's like an eraser. <laughs> it was gray, kind of cheap looking, weighed two and a half pounds and was almost an inch thick. So like it was a netbook, like, yeah, you know, by today's standards, this is really thick. It was, it was small. It's reasonable back in the day. It was, it was portable. You could put it in a briefcase or a backpack pretty easily. The device, the hardware was, was kind of standard, run of the mill, but the software, as we kind of mentioned, was, was a little unique. Email, again, the focus, but it could also browse the web and it did so using your phone's data plan, uh, which is pretty cool. I imagine being tethered over Bluetooth was probably not the best experience. And so you could also do it over Wi-Fi if such a method were available. And it used uh, the Opera web browser and supported Flash, which was pretty cool. Uh, but it only supported Flash for navigation, <laughs> not for video playback. Yeah, so not cool videos and games and stuff. <laughs> no, so like the kind of like the Ajax-based or Ajax-based kind of web page navigation, not the not the cool stuff, not YouTube. Because YouTube in 2007, it was still Flash. You hear Wi-Fi and think, oh, well, I could just use my email over Wi-Fi without my phone. Mm. You cannot. The email lived on the phone, and the folio was just a satellite for your email. So if you took this to the coffee shop and you get there and you're like, oh, no, I left my phone at home. You were done. Yeah, you can browse an opera, and I would imagine it was pretty slow, but too bad. Your email's, you know, on your phone. So all of this was fine. But remember, they also said it was going to deal with documents. Oh, right. Yeah. It had the documents to go suite bundled, which was a very popular, I think it's still around. It is, I think. Mobile office suite that could deal with a bunch of different formats and documents. I used it on my Palm phone back in the day. Uh, It also had a simple photo viewer, so you could enjoy the pictures on your phone with a larger screen. So this idea, I mean, this idea was one that the, the, the general market actually seemed to respond pretty well to, at least initially. Everything ran on a custom version of Linux, and there were several companies that announced their intent to build applications for the Folio, um, amongst which LogMeIn, which does the remote kind of PC access software. And then there was a VPN company named Bluefire. Uh, furthermore, <laughs> this is great, there was an MP3 player uh, software 
by a company named Normsoft that you know was expected to land on the Folio and would take advantage of the device's expandable storage, um, either via an SD card or via USB. So there were intentions that you know many people had to develop and support the Folio, and and that was possible because it is like kind of this little computer, just part of what it does needs a phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was the brainchild of Jeff Hawkins, the founder of Palm, and he pitched the device as a way to be more productive when the only computer you had with you was your smartphone. Folio represents uh, a whole new product direction for both Palm and for mobile computing. In our mind, the future of mobile computing has and always will be small devices that are in your pocket that contain all your data, access to the internet, and so on. And there's a need for a large screen experience. And so this is the beginning of a product family for us. And we can see it going in many directions. Clearly, we want to support as many mobile devices as we can, other smartphones and other mobile devices that need a large screen experience. Now, this is, in my mind, the third major product that Palm's done. We did the, the Palm Pilot with a whole family of products there, then the trio of smartphones. And in my opinion, uh, the Folio is going to be the most successful and the most significant product that Palm has done. First of all, uh, it's, it's beautiful. I want to start with the fact that it's a beautiful product. Uh, and beautiful in the sense that it's simple. Uh, it's simple to look at, it's simple to use, and it has an elegant design. Uh, there's many innovative features in this product. But I want to start with a few really basic ones. One is the on-off switch. It's up in the upper left-hand corner here. It is an on-off switch. It's not a turn-on, boot, start, restart, sleep switch. It's an on-off switch. You press it once, and the product comes on. You press it again, the product goes off. It's instantaneous. There are no other modes. We focused initially on email. We wanted to make this a great companion to a smartphone for doing email. So if you have a Trio or some other smartphone you're using for email, what we want to do is bring that large screen and full keyboard to the data that's on your smartphone. And so we have a dedicated button right here next to the on-off button, which will also turn the device on, but it will always take you immediately to the email app. And it will show you your email, but it's not just showing you any email. It is showing the email that is on your Trio. So whatever email I have here, it is now visible on here. Again, the concept, in theory, is is pretty good. There's a problem, though. All of this gets announced in May 2007, which is just a month before the original iPhone ships. And as we know, the iPhone kind of just flipped everything on its head. While people were getting used to technology like multi-touch, Palm kind of had their feet in the past. They were soldiering on with this folio development. And in August of that year, the company did demonstrate the device at Linux World, and official specs were shared. Um, and, and while they seem you know, funny by today's standards, they weren't that uncommon at the time in low-cost devices. But this is the problem. It wasn't low-cost. <laughs> the, the product was announced with a price point of $499, which was a lot. It was more than many netbooks in the same kind of product category that were full-fledged PCs. And if you go and look at the shiny new iPhone, that yeah, you know, sure, it doesn't do everything great, but it's it's looking promising. $499 is the same cost as the 4-gig iPhone on an AT&T two-year contract. And remember, the Folio didn't come with the phone. You needed to buy that as well. And so, yeah, just timing didn't really end up in their favor. And then, you know, things get worse, right? Palm, uh, you know, wasn't doing excellently as is. And then their less than stellar financial situation continues. Uh, push comes to shove. 
the folio gets canceled, right, before it ever ships to anyone. Basically dead on arrival. So in September of 2007, the CEO of Palm writes this blog post announcing the project was coming to an end, really so Palm could focus on building its new operating system. You know, Palm was kind of in the situation Apple was, where the classic Mac OS was falling apart and they needed Mac OS X. Right. Palm was sort of in that, where the classic Palm operating system that ran on all these phones was really, really old and janky, and they needed something new. So this is from this letter. In the course of the past several months, it has become clear that the right path for Palm is to offer a single, consistent user experience around this new platform design and a single focus for our platform development efforts. To that end, after careful deliberation, I've decided to cancel the Folio Mobile Companion product in its current configuration and focus all of our energies on delivering our next-generation platform and the first smartphones that will bring this platform to market. So, of course, that is what we now know as the Palm Pre and and WebOS. Uh, he goes on, uh, because we were nearly at the point of shipping Folio, this was a very tough decision. Folio is based on a second platform and a separate development environment. We need to focus our efforts on one platform. Our own evaluation and early market feedback were telling us we still have a number of improvements to make Folio a world-class product, and we cannot afford to make those improvements on a platform that is not central to our core focus. That would not be right for our customers or for our developer community. This reasoning is fantastic. He gets where they are. And this, and we should say this is not Hawkins who sort of babied this thing. Uh, this is uh, Ed Colligan, the CEO at the time. But he gets that Palm really needs to focus. And if they're going to survive, they need to focus on one thing and you know, reading this now, even though we know how Palm ended, this was the right decision at the time. Yeah, I, I think so. And and they didn't, I mean, he didn't disregard the idea of the folio at all. And, and even went to talk about in the post how there would be a folio too, and then it would be built to expand on the new platform that would come. And maybe, who knows, that, that never really ended up working out. But WebOS... <laughs> died in early life. And so frankly, who who knows, maybe there was a folio style device that was in the works that we just never ended up finding out about. And, and the way that the WebOS multitasked and the way that it kind of integrated with, with its sharing features, I wouldn't be surprised if, if such a product was kind of in the concept stage when everything fell apart. You know, this letter about, hey, we need to focus, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone knew it was going on. So there's this really famous blog post uh, written by Peter Rojas over on Engadget in the fall of 2007. It's great. It's called Dear Palm, It's Time for an Intervention. And he mentions the folio. He tells the company to, quote, stop wasting money on the folio. We all know it's not going anywhere. And even if it does all right, and let's just be real, it's never going to do better than all right. <laughs> it's really just a distraction from the main business you're already neglecting. Besides, how many Treo companions do you expect to sell if the Treo itself is not to snuff? Again, their OS was falling behind. This phone was creaky plastic with a bunch of buttons. He finished this saying, the Folio is not the way to make the core product better. Again, totally right. Based on the letter from the CEO, it looks like at least some people within Palm understood that to be the truth. Well, it's hard to argue with Rojas and, and the CEO himself. Folio 
was a distraction. And, and we're not saying that the pre or webOS would have been better if the folio had gone on sale or if it had been killed earlier or, or what have you. But it, it's certainly, uh, it's an awkward point because it was a product that conceptually was cool in practice would not have been great. And so rather than release a subpar product, Palm just kind of killed it and tried to get moving on something new. And, and they did. And WebOS ended up being really great. The problem is just with Windows uh, Phone, uh, it, it came to market too late. And Android, which in many instances at the time was a far inferior platform, ended up winning out just because A, it was more kind of open and decentralized, but B, it was first. <laughs> and so it doesn't even matter. It won by default almost. Go listen to episode four of this show if you want to hear a lot more about that. Yeah. Uh, we talked all about True. it. The folio was probably not a good idea, was an idea at the wrong time in the company's life cycle of its products. But they saw the writing on the wall and they responded correctly. Yep. But the idea itself lived on. And we're going to talk about that right after this break. This episode of Flashback is brought to you by Command Line Heroes. Command Line Heroes is a podcast that tells the epic true tales of developers, programmers, hackers, geeks, and open source rebels who are revolutionizing the technology landscape. Season 7 of Command Line Heroes is available now. This season explores a pivotal year, 1995. It's the start of the dot-com boom, but a lot of things had to come together for the internet itself to succeed. I'm absolutely loving this season of Command Line Heroes. I listened to an episode just this morning about the uh, the very simple thing we all take for granted in HTML. That wasn't a given, and it had to be put together, and then the W3C had to be formed to manage it. Really fascinating stuff. 1995 was a huge pivot point. The moment when the internet went from this academic curiosity to a global phenomenon. It's really great. Search for Command Line Heroes anywhere you listen to your shows, and we'll, of course, include a link in the show notes. Our thanks to Command Line Heroes for their support of the show and Relay FM. Okay, Stephen. So we mentioned that there were other kind of brainchilds that resulted from the folio. This whole idea of let's make your phone uh, the brain of a laptop. <laughs> and right. the first one came from a company called Redfly Mobile. And I really can't Who? yeah, I really can't find much about this company. Uh, but the kind of most obvious copy of the folio and perhaps the least adventurous uh, was called the Mobile Companion from again this company, Redfly. And it was, in essence, exactly what Palm had envisioned for the Folio project, just uh, yeah. a little worse. <laughs> it, worse. It wasn't all bad, though, okay? Because one of the things it did that was pretty clever was rather than make you buy a companion smartphone for this laptop, it just worked with any Windows Mobile smartphone. And Windows Mobile had a lot of market penetration at the time. It was, it was can I say a market leader? It wasn't really because BlackBerry was still kind of the king and iPhone was quickly picking up speed, but it, it was certainly relevant. What was great about it is you could connect to this laptop, you could tether to your phone with the laptop over either Bluetooth or for a quicker connection, USB. It did kind of a lot of what the folio d decided it wanted to do. Um, the design is, oh man, it is this really gross looking like brown beige gold color. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. Like I don't want to, I have it open now, this Gizmodo link, mm -hmm. and I'm looking right at it. And 
Yeah, it's like goldy brown plastic, but the keyboard is gray. Yep. And then it has sort of like rust red accents. Yeah, it's like a burgundy. It's it's not great. Yeah. One reviewer described it as attractive. I'm not sure I can agree. And in his review, that was that was one of the the positives, the the nice design. <laughs> So maybe you can see where this is going. Uh, the device did do what it claimed to well, mostly. Uh, reviewers stated that it was able to connect over Bluetooth with shocking ease and that you were able to send and view emails as if it were a native laptop, which is pretty cool. Office Mobile also ran really well and was functional for sending documents to and from the phone. However, there was a pretty big issue in the processing department. Um, the 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 laptop was just criminally underpowered. And so even PowerPoint would often crash as a result of running out of memory. <laughs> and browsing the web with the built-in browser was reported to be basically not usable, extremely juddery. To make matters worse, add insult to injury, uh, it couldn't play any audio and video. And the price point, are you ready for this one? The price point was just like the folio, 500 bucks. So, no. Yeah. And this was later too. Why? So it made it more expensive than most netbooks like the Asus EPC and a couple of other kind of alternatives that could do all of those things well that might not have had very good battery life like the Redfly was actually supposed to have but, you know, worked. <laughs> so, yeah, Redfly mobile companion perhaps not the greatest success. But there was one that did a little better. Yeah, this is this is maybe the most interesting to me. So this is the Motorola Atrix Lapdock. Hey. Why are these companies making up words? What are you doing? I don't know. Can I tell you something fun about this? Please. I have a video on my YouTube channel <laughs> from CES 2011 when this thing was debuted that's still viewable today. So don't watch it. YouTube, but one could. Snazzy lap. I got to put it in the show notes now. <laughs> Snazzy Labs. Oh, you should listen to my voice at the beginning of the video. I was like vocal strain, and I was like, hello, we are here with the Motorola Atrix. And, you know, you got to sound reportery and official. Mm -hmm. uh, also, Stephen, uh, I bought one. N not in 2011, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you sent me this. Tell the good people out there how much you paid for this. You know, I've kind of forgotten. I don't really want to think about it. It was $128. Okay, well, it gets worse. Do you know why? Why? Because I, that's just the laptop. You need the phone, too. And we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I ended up buying two phones, which ended up being, you know, about another $100, give or take. So You have a problem. <clears throat> I really do. And it's this podcast. <laughs> oh, wow. This video is something. Mm -hmm. Were you at CES? Yeah, I went. I went. How old were you in 2011? Uh, 18. You know, a perfectly reasonable adult. And uh, I went around with a, a video camera and, mm -hmm. you know, just interviewed people saying, show me your thing. And the guy at the keynote, well, he described the Motorola Atrix kind of perfectly. <laughs> it, they say that it's a laptop dock, right? And, well, mm -hmm. let's just, let's play the clip. I want you to hear how he explains this. Um, basically how this works is this unit here, um, this is just actually a, a battery, um, independent, a battery with a screen and a keyboard. Um, there is no processor or anything in this device. There's not even actually a power button. So um, and without the phone, it's actually useless. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, <laughs> what a way to announce something. Here's this thing. It's mostly useless unless you buy this other thing. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and even with that other thing, I don't know. Uh, so this it was a dock, and you'd basically sit your 
Atrix Android smartphone down into it. Yeah. And it had micro USB and micro HDMI. Yeah. So you could hook it up to a display and a keyboard, okay. a mouse. Okay. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, there was even a USB-A port, which is cool. It was cool. But I have a question. Okay. What does it run? Does it run tablet Android? Yeah. Because that's not very no, good. No, no. Especially in 2011. No, you'd be... Well, it might be better than what it ended up running. Now, when you plugged the phone into the laptop dock, there was like a five to six second delay before anything would happen. And it seems a little strange because, again, you're just basically outputting over micro HDMI what should be Android. But... It's not Android. <laughs> it took five to six seconds because the phone was actually booting up Motorola's webtop platform that was actually based on Ubuntu Linux. So you've got Linux running on top of your Android install inside of a little packaged container. <laughs> and so because it was this Motorola-made Linux OS, native apps were... Well, they were scarce, uh, with its main draw basically being a quote-unquote full Firefox browser with Flash video capabilities. Uh, and then it also had like a couple of other weird uh, first-party apps, I guess you should say, because it's it's there were only a few apps on the Atrix. It came with a browser, it came with a media player, and then the Nautilus file browser for GNOME, which was originally developed by Apple's Andy Hertzfeld. <laughs> and so, yeah, and well, that's, that's it. So it's... You know, it was an app that ran on Android that was Linux that outputted to a display. To make matters even more bizarre, the laptop itself, it, it truly had no brains. Um, Stephen mentioned earlier that there was a USB port and a micro HDMI port on the side of the phone that would slot into this dock. And you can actually drive anything off of this little laptop you want. Um, the USB connection to the phone would be used for the keyboard and cursor input and the USB-A port. And then HDMI would come out of the phone that would actually power up the laptop screen. And so if you have one of these laying around, um, you can plug in any micro HDMI output device and it will display on the laptop. <laughs> so it was literally just like a TV with a battery and a USB keyboard that you threw your phone into. <laughs> Pretty weird. And then they, you know, they decided to take things a little further because that, that's not enough, right? You could basically mirror your smartphone screen on this laptop. And, and it's hard to explain it. I imagine basically your phone in, in the same form factor, but on a display that it's really ill-suited to be viewed on. <laughs> so Yeah, so it basically you're in this desktop environment and you have an app mm -hmm. or a window that is just your it phone. It just mirrors your phone. And you can control your phone through the app, but that's pretty much it. There was one slight silver lining because, again, this was this weird kind of underbaked Linux fork and, and there weren't that many first-party apps. But you could go full screen on some of these Android applications if it was supported. And so in theory, for tablet-optimized apps, it would allow you to kind of, well go full screen. The problem was, is that it wasn't a touchscreen. And this was really before the time where we kind of had these hybridized Android from the beginning was, was built with cursor support, but it was never really actually intended to be used with the cursor. <laughs> it's like iOS. Things are much better now. Um, but, but back then it was pretty janky. 
there was one feature that they kind of bragged about. Uh, not only did they sell this weird old laptop dock, but they also sold a desktop dock. And what basically happened was that because it was not really actually running Android, it would basically save the desktop environment when you pulled it out of the dock. And then the next time you plugged it into something else, be that the same laptop dock or a dock at your house that was plugged into your TV or your computer, it would preserve the state and continue the session that you had previously from machine to machine. Hmm. Kind of cool in theory. It didn't last very long. So you mentioned CES 2011. Right. By... October of 2012, it was gone. Webtop was gone. Laptop accessories were gone. They'd already released phones, <laughs> didn't have support for it before this. Uh-huh. Including the Atrix HD. So it was the same product line, but didn't support the stock. As far as I can tell, there were only ever two smartphones that actually supported the, the little dock, which, bummer. Uh, part of the problem was the price. Uh, it was cheap, right? All these things. You know, it's like 200 <laughs> nope, bucks, right? Nope. Was it $500 again? Mm-hmm. It sure was. Why? I don't know. And you, I mean, this is 2011, right? There's another thing that existed that was $500. Can you put your finger on it? Mm, I can. My iPad's right here. Yep. That was, uh, that was it. The iPad was the same price point. And uh, there were many other subcompact uh, compact PCs at the time that were more useful. So yeah, this thing died rather glamorously. Um, it was probably the most well-known phone laptop dock. Yeah. And uh, well, no one ever tried that ever again, right? Well, there's this one little company, and they're really willing to try anything anyone else tries. <laughs> Samsung. <laughs> Samsung's approach is different, to be fair. So instead of making a laptop, and they call their system DeX, so there's not a Dex laptop where you like slap your phone into a clamshell and it becomes a laptop powered by your phone. Right. Dex is really intended to be used with a monitor, keyboard, and mouse you already have. Or like you said earlier, you could go anywhere and like plug your phone into this. So I think the vision behind Samsung Dex, if you'll let me just paint this picture for you for a second, is you're in college, okay. you have your Samsung phone in your dorm, and you're working on a paper in Dex, and then you need to go to the computer lab to print it. You don't have to email it to yourself or save it in Google Docs. You just have it in your phone, and you're in the computer lab, and when the guy's not looking, you unplug the Dell PC, and then you <laughs> plug in your Samsung phone, mm-hmm. and then you're there, and you can print it. I don't think I don't think anyone uses it that way. Perfectly reasonable. Now, here's the, have you ever actually used Dex? I have, uh, I have not. I was a bit of a Dex hater because no one liked Dex. When it came out in 2017, it was, it was laggy. It was buggy. It was an unsupported train wreck. But here's the thing, Stephen. I've actually used Dex a few times in the last year. And I gotta say, it's really good, actually. (laughs) Because it runs Android, there is seamless compatibility with all of Samsung's native software. So you can start on the desktop and then resume wherever you were on your iPhone, or excuse me, on your mobile phone, and vice versa. And believe it or not, Samsung has actually, to their credit, worked really hard for third-party support as well. Um, the entire Microsoft Office suite is Dex supported, um, as is WebEx, Parallels, and and many other apps. But also because it's just Android, you can run any native Android app in tablet mode on Dex um, in their own little windows. You can run them side by side. You can multitask, cut and paste, drag and drop. Most of them work really well because you know major apps support tablets with keyboards and cursors, which this basically is. And they've even expanded Dex that where you can like connect your Samsung phone to your TV or yeah. with a USB cable, you basically have like your phone 
kind of running in its own environment on a PC or Mac even. And so yeah. Dex has really become like put my take my phone and put it some put it stuff somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that is an interesting idea because if you look at what Apple does for instance, well they have the photos app on your Mac on your iPad, on your phone, they just sync the content. iMessage just syncs all your messages around. But Samsung doesn't have all of that. And so like, well, we'll just make your phone an app or make your phone your whole computer. Right. And it is a very interesting idea. And I think out of all the takes we've talked about, by far the most, uh, not only the most well thought through, but also the most successful. It is. The, the problem with Dex is that it is... I mean, the strength of DEX is the weakness of DEX. Because it's not device agnostic, it's not device agnostic. I mean, you know, they've tried really hard to say, oh, you know, you can you can put it wherever you want. But that also means that it's it's not really good on any specific platform. Because if you have a Mac or a Windows laptop, you can run DEX on it. But would you? Not really. I mean, maybe if you wanted to, you know, do some weird thing with your, you know, Samsung, I don't know, some app that Samsung offered or, or send messages, but messaging in, in Android is, is built into Windows now. And it, there's just not a use case, in my opinion, for this software, because even though it works well, you need to use a device that's already powerful enough to do everything Dex does and more by itself. A computer, a a TV, a smart TV, um, Samsung's own tab line of tablets, which are very powerful and, you know, run Android. So (laughs) message syncing and all that stuff that you might think, just like an iPhone and an iPad, you're not running iOS as a windowed or as a kind of odd device when you use iMessage on your Mac. They're just all built together. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of the weakness of DeX. But, you know, there are companies that have tried to do what Samsung hasn't been bold enough to do. Is that the word? I don't know. Tell me about the next doc. <laughs> yeah, so this is fascinating. So like we just said, Samsung to date hasn't made a clamshell that you just plug your phone into. But next doc, N-E-X doc, it is a, well, it's a modern folio. Mm. So it's got a keyboard mm-hmm. and a trackpad and a display, and it's got a battery, and it's got some USB-C ports, and okay. you can plug your phone into it. All right. And it becomes a DeX target. Okay. And uh, you're just you're just rocking and rolling off your phone. Okay. Well, why would I want that, though? Because the laptop's the best form oh, factor. right. <laughs> Well, you can't do real work on a tablet, so... Yeah, it yeah. supports uh, <laughs> Samsung and Huawei phones. Okay. It, it's really pitched as all these other ones are, right? Like, you have your phone and you want to work on a bigger screen. Um, you don't have to sync stuff over because it's just a laptop that uses your phone. It's it's going to... It's $270 plus shipping. Which is... That's a good deal. It's not $500. No. Which is good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you can pre... So, at the time of this recording... Okay. It is pre-order only, and it's supposed to ship by the end of April 2021. Right now, we're in the middle of April 2021, so this hasn't shipped yet. Mm-hmm. Some people, though, have gotten um, access to some of their some of their technology. So this order is for the new one, the next Deck 360. Yeah. So it's like a convertible. Right. There was one before. They had a touchscreen one, yeah. but yep. it's. Sold out, right? <laughs> and apparently not coming back. Yeah, it's gone. There was one called the Next Deck Two, I think, 
And it came with like a 1080p touchscreen and speakers and a flurry of I.O. and a backlit keyboard and a multi-touch trackpad. I think it had a 60 watt hour battery, um, which resulted in like 10 hours of use, which is pretty amazing. And it was all wrapped up in this thin aluminum chassis. It was literally a laptop without a processor, just like the Atrix. And you just plug in whatever you want. So you could plug in you know, your Samsung phone and get DeX. You could plug in your Huawei phone and run their software. You could plug in your Nintendo Switch and use it as a, a, a TV, basically. It's, it's just a keyboard and a battery and a trackpad with USB and then a display. And that's it. And, and so it's, it's basically, you know, that, that is what it is. And in theory, that's a pretty cool idea. It, it is a little weird because like for DeX, for example, you can do wireless DeX now, which is really great on a Mac or PC, but obviously you need a host machine that has an operating system and has a processor to be able to perform that. Right. So with this, you have to plug it in. And because it's not like designed specifically for my Samsung phone, there's no like cool little slot or anything. You just plug it in mm-hmm. over USB. And so yeah. it's kind of a little janky for kind of portable use because you just got your phone dangling off the side that is the processor in this computer. But uh, yeah, in theory, it's cool. But uh, like you mentioned, there's a new version. The old version, which was really highly reviewed, Android Authority gave it a 9 out of 10 for Dex use. They loved it. Wow. Um, but yeah, that model's discontinued. And looking at the specs on the new one, I'm not super impressed. It has one of those dumb, like the screen flips 360 degrees, like folds in on itself. Yeah. Which if you've ever used one of those, you know, that's actually not a good form factor at all. But it has, you know, a touchscreen, still 1080p, but the battery is a lot smaller. I think it goes from a 60 watt hour battery down to 44. And then it's um, thinner, but not that much thinner. I'm kind of a little skeptical about this new one. And again, it's it's not real yet, so who who knows if it's ever going to ship. But I kind of think the idea of having a battery-powered display is awesome. I can see myself traveling with one of these, like as a secondary display for a laptop or, like I mentioned earlier, for the Nintendo Switch. It's basically a TV. Oh, yeah. Uh, or you could run a desktop OS uh, using, like, TeamViewer or Jump or Shadow, which is kind of cool because you could, even though you don't have a laptop, you could kind of make it a laptop over the internet. Um, you could even play, like, Microsoft xCloud and get, you know, Xbox games on a little tablet tethered to your phone. It's kind of cool. I like the next talk, okay? <laughs> it's cool. Hopefully the new one is good mm-hmm. and real. So uh, I guess the question is, like, Samsung's really the only one doing this, mm-hmm. even though some of these other accessories can work with Huawei phones as well, and some of it's baked into Android even, and you even have, like, Chrome OS, which is kind of a weird mashup because it can run Android apps. So, like, the dream that Palm set out all those years ago that you have your phone and it becomes your computer. You have one device mm-hmm. and we see this in like movies set in the future where someone pulls a phone out and they like tap it on a desk and then the desk becomes the display yeah, for the phone. Fling like the thing up to the, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you, is that a future you want to live in? Do you think there's room for this to continue to improve or is Samsung going to kind of keep doing their thing and no one else is going to try? You know, here's here's the thing. I, I think that people as a whole have maybe accepted the reality that having a single-use device isn't that practical. Um, I, I, like many others, like the concept in theory. But in, in practice, there hasn't been a single execution that's ideal. Because again, even with the, the case of DeX, where it's actually pretty good, if it gets to the point where you're carrying around this battery-powered laptop just without a CPU, why buy it? Except for maybe price point. But in order to get 
a good DeX experience, you need to have one of Samsung's flagship phones, which are like eleven, twelve hundred dollars. And so at that point, you're at right. fifteen hundred bucks, and that's the same price as like a value-oriented laptop, and then like an iPhone, uh, you know, twelve mini or, or something like that. And so it's it's kind of from a I, I think the only area it makes sense in is is a budget standpoint because I don't think anyone more than Apple has proved over the last few years that there can exist multiple devices that have their own set of strengths. Mm-hmm. I don't ever really wish, in fact, for my iPad Pro to run Mac OS because the form factor and you know some of the things it does are really only suited on an iPad. And so maybe the one exception would be if somehow the best mobile operating system and the best desktop operating system and the best TV software and who, who knows what kind of all slowly merged together into one powerful operating system. But I just don't see that happening without it becoming kludgy. I mean, look no further than, um, sorry, hate to pick on them, but Windows 8. That was kind of like the, hey, you know, our laptops have touchscreens now. So let's make our OS touchscreen you know, capable. And wow, on a touchscreen, it's actually pretty good. But then you'd go use Windows 8 on any desktop with a mouse and a keyboard and you wanted to die. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think and they backed e- away from it in yeah, a big way. Microsoft backed away from it. People thought Apple were coming together and they've stated fairly declaratively, no, that's not happening. And everything they seem to be doing with the iPad and with the Mac and with the iPhone is that they're trying to make them work together, but not to be together. They're not the same product. They just complement each other. And I really think that's probably the market that that will continue to exist, not just because that's where the money is. It's better for Apple if you buy three devices instead of one, but also because you know different form factors and different devices do different things better than other things. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> well said, my friend. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if it was well said, but I appreciate it. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, if you want to Read more about the Palm Folio and the parade of products that have followed its demise. Check out our links over at relay.fm slash flashback slash 17. While you're there, you can get in touch. Send us an email. Uh, you can find us online. Quinn, where can people find you? People can find me online at SnazzyQ or on YouTube at youtube.com slash snazzy. Cool. And uh, if you're looking for another podcast to listen to, I recommend Automators. It's here on Relay FM, hosted by David Sparks and Rose Orchard. And they talk about getting the most out of your technology through automation, which is this big, scary word. Mm-hmm. But it's actually really easy to get started with, especially in the Apple ecosystem. So go check that out at relay.fm slash automators. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH. I host a bunch of shows here on Relay and write at 512pixels.net. Until our next episode, Quinn, say goodbye. See you later, folks. Bye, y'all.